the topic with me, the new topic, please. Say, trapped, trapped. by injustice. By injustice. <laughs> Man, trapped by injustice. Now, now, one person heard me, one of my uh, leaders, he saw the title. He said, oh, he's going to talk about what happened to the police officer this week. And I said, no, that was awful and terrible. But that ain't all police. That was those brothers, sad to say. I was tragically grieved over it. I watched the video on purpose so that I can see this brother go through this horrible experience. But that was not my focus in the message. My focus in the message was built around a book I read. I started to read. And I realized that it was African, it was, it was um, the month we celebrate uh, the history of the African-American journey and, and Black History Month. And I felt like, I don't know, normally I don't teach on a theme, normally. But I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to talk about love a little bit next week. Valentine's come along, I'm going to give a little love word. This is, I'm going to drop it in there. It's going to be a little love word, a little bit. And so I felt strongly just a couple of three days ago. So you know I like to prepare my sermons early. I said all that for a reason. So the last thing I want to do is start all over again. Because the way we do this work, you know, they have to do graphics. It's got to be a whole lot. So it's a lot of pieces. So, you know, I try to do all of the messages and get it all done. So I did all four. Pray for me, I know. Because I like to know where I'm going. The first thing you ask somebody when you get in the car with them is what? Where are we going? And how long is it going to take us to get there? So I, I, I felt this theme, it leaped out at me, and it was profound. The last time we were together, we talked about how important it is for us to make sure that we're not trapped in the wrong places, if you remember in our last series. And I talked about how, how <laughs> it's a fascinating study of how Israel was in Canaan, and how they're in Canaan, and they, 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 were, they, were, they were not in Canaan, they were on the border of Canaan, acted up, said they weren't going to go in, the people were too strong, and so they decided to listen to 10 negative voices. Joshua and Caleb had to sit there and suffer with these 10 negative voices. They tried to convince the people to go take the promised land, they said no. And so for 40 years, God allowed them to wander in the wilderness. The reason was because they wouldn't win anyway. If they did go in the promised land, they'd be slaves again, like they were in Egypt. So God had to have a 40-year um, waiting room. 40 years, they had to wait for all the people to die off who wouldn't believe. 40 years. Mama, cousin, uncles, nephews, all had to die, everybody above 20, and everybody was 19 and below got to go into the promised land. I sure don't want to be in that other group. But Joshua and Caleb were in that group. And being in that group, they had to watch their mothers, fathers, cousins all die, a lot of funerals, several million people. And then all of a sudden now, the younger generation. And when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, that, that's the group that Moses is talking to, the children of those who died off. And he retells in Deuteronomy the entire story of how it all started and how it ended and how he couldn't go to the promised land. And all the things he talked about was powerful. He talked about his temper tantrum and how God locked him out. And he said, because of you, I couldn't go in. And he, he still got a little attitude. But the point is, at the end of the day, when you get here, you have this incredible study of, of, of two guys, Joshua and Caleb, who show us how painful it is to survive and watch other people die. It was an amazing study. I hope you go back and listen to all the sermons. All four are really great. 
But today we turn to another part of the study that I want to share, another reason I'm answering, answering one question all year long, right? Unless something else comes up. Here's the question. Say, so why people, come on, don't do what they say they're going to do? Why, why, why don't they? Well, because, number one, they're trapped in the wrong place, like the first study we did. Israel was not supposed to be in Egypt, but maybe five years. They ended up being there for 430 years. There's something about being in the wrong place, wrong job, wrong career, wrong city, wrong friends. It's just you end up trapped because you're in the wrong place. Some of you say, I can relate to that. That may be my issue. <laughs> Secondly, in our study, now I want to say some people don't do what they want to do or supposed to do or dream to do or said they would do because they're trapped by injustice. Now hear this. They are trapped in a system that has unjustly treated them. They are victims of it. There are people that are in prison who shouldn't have been there. They're framed. There are people who are financially struggling. Some of you say, yeah, I can relate to that because I'm here because of my children. It's unjust. I've had to spend so much money on them, bailing them out of their life trials, that I don't have any money. My financial situation is a trap that's unfair. And, and you're right. So that's what I want to address today. And I'm going to take you to the book of Acts chapter 10. And I want you to see a man named Peter. And I'm going to show you a lesson. How Peter had an encounter that helped him see his true condition. And how trapped he was in his leadership approach. This was a guy who was trapped. He was unfair to Gentiles. He was a Jew who had bought into a caste system. Big word today. And this caste system said, we're better than them. And even within the Jewish culture, you had, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were better than the other people, you know, the Republicans. So everybody had this ranking, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. And so there are four things I'm going to show you in this study over the next few weeks. The first thing is I want to show you how to face your true condition, our true condition. In my opinion, there are some things in our society that are not just. Our history says so. Here's what I want to say, just to make, make this easy for everybody. We have had a painful history, but we have a great potential. But we have had a painful history. But we have a great what? One more time. We have had what? A painful history. You can deny it. Try to wipe it out in history books. Say things like, I don't want to say anything that makes people uncomfortable. I'm sorry. It's painful. And it's uncomfortable for you. And it's uncomfortable for me. But it's what happened. And so there's a moment in life when you can deny that and pretend. But you're going to see in a minute that doesn't work. Secondly, we're going to talk about how people come into your life and how they reveal to you your true condition. So today we'll talk about this whole idea of facing our true condition, right? But then there are people that come into your life and they reveal. You're never going to change some things in your life until you meet certain people. If I look at my life, I can see the trajectory that God put my life on. Ricky Temple, you've got to meet certain people, and all of them are black. You've got to meet some white people. You've got to meet some Asian people. You've got to meet some Brazilian people. You've got to meet you some African people from Africa for real. 
Come on, say amen. You hear me? You've got to meet some people who are Argentinian. You've got to meet some people, and you've got to relate to them. You've got to meet your good old Armenian, a good old Russian. Mm. A good old Russian. Everybody's not the same. A good old German. You've got to meet people who are not like you, who don't speak your language. There's something about that encounter that changed Peter's life. And thirdly, we're going to talk about the fact that sometimes in order for God to get you where he wants you to be, you've got to travel a distance. For Peter to get to the place God wanted him to be, he had to leave his house and go to somebody else's house. He had to travel 30 miles plus. Distance is important. You haven't traveled far enough yet. You haven't met the right people yet to get to God's best for you. And then this one, ah, the last one. We'll talk about facing our inherited condition. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Facing our inherited condition. Some things were passed down to you. You are the way you are because somebody taught you something that may not have been the best thing for you. You know, one of the hard things to see is people grow their own weeds. You see it. You see it. You see people make decisions that you know long term will get them to be in an unemployed category. You see it. Coming late all the time, rushing in all the time, bad attitude, always got something to say in the staff meeting that you don't need to say, always got a little attitude, a little chip on your shoulder. That's called unemployed and broke. And you see it. I've told people I love. I said, listen, I want to talk to you before it gets any worse. I don't like horror movies, but I see one coming. That's one of my little speeches. So if you work for me and you hear that, you know you're in trouble. Amen, if I ever tell you that. I see a horror movie coming. I see it. It's scaring me. Ah! I need you to work on that. There's something about being clear that there are traps and there are traps that lead to long-term problems. Now, I want to read from an author, and um, you may know her, in, in there's a book I'm going to put up right now. It's called Cast, The Origin of Our Discontent by Isabel Wilkerson. I want you to buy it. Read it with me this month. I might even have a book review. I'm thinking about starting a book club. How many would join my book club? Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. I want to see you going to join. All right, don't be saying that. Don't show up. All right, I'll look on my calendar and see what I can do at the end of the month. Y'all help me out with that staff. I want to do something online because we ain't all coming in person. Uh, so if you ain't got a computer, you got time to get one. <laughs> I just I got to make it work. I just got to make it work. I know that's the best way to make it work, okay? But um, this is a quote from the book that really affected me. America is an old house. We can never declare the work over. Wind, floods, drought, and human upheavals batter a structure that is already fighting whatever flaws were left unattended in the original foundation. When you live in an old house, you may not want to go into the basement after a storm to see what the rains have wrought. Choose not to look, however, at your own peril. The owner of an old house knows that whatever you are ignoring will never go away. Whatever is lurking will fester whether you choose to look or not. Ignorance is no protection from the consequences of inaction. 
Whatever you are wishing away will gnaw at you until you gather the courage to face what you would rather not see. America's an old house. One of the things I've gotten to, got to do a lot, which has been nice, is do Q&A in sessions on racism. I've been asked to do that by some um, universities. And in particular, I was really honored to do this with my own alma mater, Life Pacific University. They asked me to do an online with the entire student body uh, on this issue. And one of the questions was profound to me. A guy in the audience, he said, Pastor Ricky, he said, uh, would you please help me? And he said his name. He said, my father, my grandfather, great-great-grandfather was a famous racist. He hated and he spread hate. And whenever I say my name, I am embarrassed. How do I manage that? That's what he asked me. And I said to him, I said, say your name. I'm going to make up a name. My name is Frank. Pretend that was his name. I said, you're not him. You're different. You can't blame yourself for the house he built or passed down to you. But here's where we find the wisdom of Miss Isabel. But now you own the house. And all that came with the house is now your house. And we all in the house together. So we can ignore the creeks. We can ignore the leaks in the roof. We can ignore the little birds chirping on the top of the roof, pecking on the roof if we want to. But this is our house. Can you say, come on, this is our house. Say it again, come on, this is our house. So understand that once we own the house, we own the house. And all the deferred maintenance, that's a word you know if you ever manage big buildings, commercial properties, is what you don't fix. Oh, I heard the air conditioning creaking, but I decided to wait another three months or six years. Oh, we know that pipe is probably rusted now in that wall, but we don't deal with it, so the whole thing burst. I've seen that in churches. And so now you pay for the deferred maintenance. One of the things I'm proud of about our church, at this point, we've done really good. We don't have a whole bunch of deferred maintenance stuff. Everything's fixed. We got some stuff on the wish list, but it ain't nothing that we can't fix. It's nothing broken. We fix everything in 30 days. You find something around here, let me know. But we fix everything. No, I'm sorry, no, no, 30 days. We fix it like the next day, a couple of 24 hours, 48 hours, tight rules. Because I know how it can be deferred. Some of you say, well, my house is full of deferred maintenance. I know. <laughs> stuff we put off. But the problem with the country is when you put stuff off and you ignore it, you end up with problems. One of the things that we put into our foundation of our home was a caste system, Ms. Isabel says. And a caste system, by definition, is a system that she says is an artificial construction, a fixed and embedded ranking of human value that sets the presumed supremacy of one group against the presumed inferiority of, of other groups on the basis of some ancestry and often trait that's really just not fair or true. Immutable trait, she calls it. It's a, a caste system uses rigid, often arbitrary boundaries to keep the rank grouping apart, distant from one another, and in their assigned 
places. Now, in India, you really see this in very clear language because, you know, there's a caste system. You know, you can't marry outside of your caste. You saw some of this under apartheid when you saw South Africa, and you really saw it in Nazi Germany. You saw this strong sense of you are here, and they are at the bottom, they're there at the bottom. And she goes through this great historical summary of how in America, in the beginning of the building of our country, there was a caste system created. Prior to, I thought this was fascinating, prior to America, there was no black and white. That's a construction of our country. And I have a generation that came somewhere in the I think, early 1700s, where you started having to define people by color. Because it used to be you were European, you were French, you were Polish, you were a Jew or Gentile, but you were not black and white. And somehow, in order to protect the caste, they put everybody that was light or white in one side and black in the other side. You got Asian, Hispanic, and whatnot in the middle. But generally speaking, a very distinct racial divide was created, a caste system, where we look at each other and think in terms of color, not character. And so this creates a problem, but this is not new. Believe it or not, in the book of Acts chapter 10, there is an incredible example of this. Before I get there, I want to read one verse to you because this verse kind of sets the stage for how we should think. We shouldn't think in terms of caste systems. Here's what James chapter 2 verse 1 says. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show what? Favoritism or partiality. No favoritism. No partiality. You can't be against white people. You can't be against black people. You can't be against Asian people. You can't be against anybody. Don't have the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. Don't buy into a falsely created racial divide that isn't real. Because you all be people. And all you got to do is meet them. There's crazy white people and there's crazy black people. We saw that with the police officer story we just talked about. We see people can be unjust on all sides. We understand that people can make decisions that are unfair and unwise and brutal. And in, in this text, I want you to see how clear he is. We should not have the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with favoritism. That's a flaw in the house. You can choose to ignore that. That's unwise. You can choose to ignore the damage that that causes. But that's unwise. And that doesn't protect you if you ignore it. You can't just wish it away. You must gather the courage to face what is wrong in this house. To face what's wrong in our culture, in our inheritance, in our, in, in our America, in our world, in our church, in our family, wherever this applies to you. And you must be willing to deal with it and be fair. Now, Acts chapter 10 takes us on a journey, and I want to summarize it because this is a story about Peter and a guy named Cornelius. Now, Peter is a profoundly gifted leader. Cornelius is an up-and-coming leader. He's, an, he's a soldier, but he's a devout and committed believer in God. And Peter didn't really understand, because it was part of his culture, that he had embraced a caste mindset, a favoritism-oriented mindset where he viewed Gentiles in a way that he shouldn't. And it shows up in his life, and you'll see it if you study Peter's life 
Matter of fact, Paul had to correct him about it once, publicly. You're a hypocrite, Peter. You act one way around Gentiles, another way around Jews. When the Jews are around, you don't want to be around the Gentiles. In Galatians, he confronted him about that. And there's this incredible example of how Peter got caught up. But in Acts chapter 10, verse 9, God decides to deal with Peter. And he wants to challenge Peter to fix the house. And here's what he does. Peter's up fasting, he's praying, and he has this dream. And he sees the sheet descend, and the sheet has animals on it. And Peter was a devout Jew who did not eat certain things and didn't hang with certain people because he viewed them as common and unclean. So I want you to notice what happens. God has to confront Peter head on to get him to see himself. And he's going to do that by introducing him to somebody. That's, that's the turning point. Now, if he rejects this moment, he will never get better. If he rejects this opportunity to change, nothing will ever change. Listen to what happens. This is Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while, he, while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. Listen carefully. I have never, ever eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not, this is the lesson, Peter. Read it with me, please. Come on. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. I dare you draw lines like that. We do amazing things. We create casteisms among ourselves. Somebody told me the other day that somebody said they didn't look good. I said, well, tell them to show you their beauty check. Who are you to criticize anybody's body about it? Who are you? What in the world? Where did you get that license from? Who are you to say that that's, I mean, who are you? I, I, want, you, I want to be clear about something. If you're not careful, this can become part of what creates injustice. So you have to get to the root of what causes injustice. You can talk about it all day long, but until you can face your condition. Peter had to be shown his condition in a dream. What will God need to, to use to show you your true condition? What will it take for God to help you see that you're not perfect? That maybe you've got some of this cast stuff in you. You want to talk about how they view us, but how do you view them? whoever the them is. If we're not careful, we view people in ways that are unfair. It's, it's this moment of relationship that God sends to say, Peter, I want you to meet a guy. His name is Cornelius. And he, sir, is not a Jew. I want you to meet this person. I want, I want, I want to send somebody by your house, and I want you to meet them. And they're going to change your life. Now, I'm going to tell you, in my journey, man, God decided, he looked down and he saw a young black man 
who was born in, oh, this is amazing, born in Savannah, Georgia, on 40th Street, near Geechee Road, in a house. And he took that young man and said, I want to get him all the way from there to Los Angeles, California, and I want to get him in some theological training. I got a passion for him to be the pastor in Savannah, Georgia. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's a big stretch. So I'm going to take it from coast to coast because I need him to meet some people. I need to him to, for him to meet some people that don't look like him. I need him to meet a Cornelius. And over time, we're going to mold his brain, mold his mind. But he has to travel the distance. It's not going to happen here. I have to pick him up and move him to elevate his thinking. I've got to get him to embrace another way of seeing the world. And through trial and error and all the things, he creates a pathway that I had to follow. But the whole reason for it was for me to face my condition, my part in this house. So that I can help fix the creeks and the leaks. But I can't fix them if I turn against everybody else in the house. You're never going to heal this if you turn against all white people. You're never going to heal this if you turn against all Asian people. Even if they fly balloons over us, we can't turn against all Chinese people. <laughs> we got to work it out. Come on, say work it out. You got to work it out. Some of you got family members right now. You got a caste system in your family. Oh, yeah, you feel it now. Uh-huh. Yeah, you got one. You walk in there with your nose all up. I can't believe this place look like this. Yeah, what is this place you got here? Lord, have mercy, Jesus. I didn't raise you this way. <laughs> you got a little education, a little money. Little the car, little fancy, whatever, and everybody feels bad. And then here's another one: when they do something that's sinful or mess up something or on a path you don't like, you act like you forgot where you came from. <laughs> Come on, talk to me, somebody. You know you you done forgot yourself and all them drugs you smoked. You forgot your favorite wine and liquor and the cuss words you still know. You know how I know you know? When you get mad, you go. <laughs> you, just, you can't, you don't want to let it out. Sometimes you look left, sometimes you look right, and you, there you go, there you go one for you. Let you know, I do know how to be ghetto when necessary. And I will. I will hurt you, too. I will. <laughs> yeah. You got your own caste system going. You got your own creeks in the house. And so what do you do? What, 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 what about this relationship brings all this together? What people do you need to meet? How does it work? How does love fit into that? Sometimes love is part of that. 
relationship training. If you come back next week, I'll tell you. Let's all stand. I'm done for the day. Come on, give God a big hand clap if you're with me. Come on, give God a big hand clap if you're with me, church. Father, we leave today believing that what we have heard and what we're going to study all this month will help us all be more just. We have been trapped by injustice. We do have work to do in this American house we live in. But we're in this house together. And so God help us to realize that. People from all backgrounds, all colors, all ages, all incomes. We're in this together. One big house. Help us to see the power of banding together. Because when the house is under attack, we all got to fight. Like the people in Ukraine, God bless them. When the house has an enemy trying to destroy all you have, we got to band together. We got to fight together, people. We got to be together. We've been trapped by injustice, but we got to get out of it together. And that takes courage. So we give you all the praise and all the glory and the honor. In the name of Jesus, every head bowed, every eye closed, every hand down for a moment. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Rick, what you said spoke to me a lot. But what I want you to do before I leave is pray for me in my walk with God. I need, to, I, need, I, need to, I need to get my life on track spiritually. If that's you, you want me to pray for you, whether you're online right now, watching, or here in the building, I want you right now to raise your hand. Let me know I'm praying for you. You want me to pray for you? You'll walk with God. I see one. Anybody else saying, pray for me? I see you. Anybody else saying, pray for me? I see you. Anybody else saying, pray for me? I see you. Anybody else? Some of you, I see you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. God bless you. I also want to say all of you that are right there online right now, you're right here with us. You're right here with us. And I want you to know that God can step into your life. I'm going to pray a prayer for you that this could be the beginning of a brand new walk with the living God. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness today provided through Jesus who died on the cross for us. We surrender our lives to you believing that this is the beginning of a new life. We believe, Lord God, that you have been just to us, fair to us. You came and sacrificed so we can be free. So we invite you into our lives today. We say, bless us, guide us, and give us grace. Help us go forward knowing you have forgiven us and our life is, is, is in a trustworthy place. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you glad you came today? Come on, I hope you are. Thank you so much.